and it's awesome. And I want to talk to you a little bit about, about Jesus' last words. I want to start on Good Friday and work our way up to Sunday. You know, when I first got saved and everybody called it Good Friday, I, I said, well, what, is, what exactly is good about it? I mean, you know, the man that I have grown to love and admire and want to be like was mutilated and beaten to death by evil men. And how can you call it Good Friday? And I want to talk about that a little bit. The last words he said on the cross, there are varying accounts of that. So I want us to go to John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. And if you will, stand for the reading of the word. It's a tradition we do around here. The reason we do it is out of the book of Ezra, whenever the people were restored of God to Jerusalem and they had rebuilt the wall, they had a great meeting and they had spent 70 years in captivity because of their disobedience and they had lost their Bibles. They had no, they had no compass to go by. And Ezra, the priest, at their meeting to celebrate their accomplishments, opened the scrolls and began to read from the Word of God. And the people stood up spontaneously. He didn't ask them to. They just stood up spontaneously to show reverence for the Word of God. What will make you want to stand when you hear the Word of God? Seventy years of captivity. Can I get a witness out of somebody? And whenever they responded that way, we just kind of make it a tradition around here. We reverence the Word, and we want to stand whenever we read the Word. John chapter 19. Father, we ask you to bless this word and just attach your spirit to it, bore it into our hearts, change us through it. Help us to see a new revelation. We're constantly getting a new revelation of all that you've done for us. Show it to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had now been accomplished, he's on the cross, he's in the final hours of his life, that the scripture might be fulfilled and he said I thirst and now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and they put it in his mouth and when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished it's finished and bowing his head he gave up his spirit therefore because it was the preparation day and the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for that Sabbath was a was it high day, the Jews asked Pilate that he would break their legs, be broken, that they might be taken away. They would go ahead and die. And then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first of the, of the others who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately water and blood came out. And he who has been, and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows what he is telling is the truth, so that you might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture would be fulfilled, that not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him who they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. So there are varying degrees, there are varying accounts of Jesus' last words on the cross. And that's okay because 
if any police officer will tell you, when he investigates a wreck of some kind, he solicits the eyewitness accounts of those who observed the accident, and if everybody tells exactly the same story, he knows there was collusion. He knows that because when human beings see the same incident from three or four different perspectives, everybody sees something a little bit different. Can I get a witness out of somebody? That's one of the ways that police officers check to see uh, if the eyewitnesses are being truthful or not, is if their stories are close but a little bit different. So this shouldn't shock you that we have three different accounts of exactly what Jesus said on the cross. He probably said all these things when we, he said them. I mean, I know he said all these things, but when he said them, we don't know. In Mark, in chapter, in Matthew, it says that <clears throat> his last words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And theologians will tell you that he took the sin of man on himself because he was the perfect sacrifice for men because he had no sin. And for the first time in his life, in his existence, he was separated from his father because the father can not be around where there is sin. And so as this sin came on him, there was a separation from his father. And there was a darkness that came on him at that time that he had never experienced before in his life. And for the first time, he felt the anguish of the separation from God his father. Luke said that his last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. The centurion who was supervising the crucifixion has supervised lots of crucifixions in his life. And when he heard Jesus say these words, he said, certainly this man is a righteous man. He got saved because he had done a lot of crucifixions, but he had never seen someone that had such command over their spirit that they could command it to go when it would leave. He had never seen that before in all of his, all of his days. And he realized that Christ then at that very moment was who he said he was. But John's is the only eyewitness account that we have. For John was the only disciple who was there, standing there, when Jesus was crucified. Remember the crowd whenever he came into Jerusalem that laid down the palm leaves and cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna is a term that means joy and, and, and excitement. For the Lord has come. And how excited they were. This was, this was just a few days earlier. Well, guess what happened? They weren't around. They were the same crowd that was crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, was crying, crucify him in a few days. If you don't learn this in ministry, you're doomed to experience a lot of heartache. The crowd that follows you one minute will be gone the next. You can't be building your ministry around crowds. This is the pathos of the Western church is they have exchanged the call to make disciples for one of attracting large crowds. And the crowds are with you as long as things are going well. But when things are start, you start to have adversity or a little challenge, then the crowd's faith is not deep enough for them to stay, and they're the first ones that quit you. John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed, this was the year before, he was at the Passover. Many believed his name when they saw the signs that he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them for he, because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in a man. He knew the deceptiveness of a man's heart, and yet he loved them enough to die for them anyway. 
That's what I'm amazed by. Not only did he understand how treacherous they could be, he knew what they needed was a Savior. So, the crowd's here one minute and gone the next. Where were the other disciples? I like this account of Mark chapter 14, verse 15, 51 through 52. Whenever he was, it says that a young man was there when Jesus was arrested in the garden. There was a young man and he had a cloak, a linen cloak draped over his body. And when they came to arrest Jesus, there was a lot of commotion. And one of the guards went to grab him and he grabbed the cloak and pulled it off. And the young man ran into the night naked. Hallelujah. I wouldn't tell him it was me either. If I was Mark, I would just say a young man. But that's who it was. It was Mark. So he runs off scared in the middle of the night. Peter had already denied him three times. The guy who was the tough guy, the guy who said, I'll never forsake you. The guy says, I got what it takes. I'll die with you. Jesus, no, you don't. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. He had already denied Jesus, so he was too ashamed of his failure and he had come face to face with the reality of how weak his flesh really was. And it was hard for Peter to deal with. And so he wasn't around. He wasn't around at the crucifixion. The rest of them were up in the upper room with the door locked hiding because they were afraid that they were going to be next. That's where the, the disciples were. There was only one disciple that was there at the crucifixion. And that was John. In John 19, 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's how, how John referred to himself all the time. Oh, don't you know that aggravated Peter? He called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her in as his own. John saw after Mary the rest of her natural life. He took her into his household. He took care of her. John was standing there at the moment before Jesus' death when he gave him the responsibility of taking care of his mother. So John is the only eyewitness that we have. And here's what he said Jesus' last words were before he died. It's finished. It's finished. For 2,000 years, the church has been arguing about what exactly is finished. It's all a conundrum. You know, the cross is crazy to the world. It says, in fact, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 118, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the very power unto God for salvation. Basically, the cross makes no sense to the natural mind, and that's intentional. This, this is one of the things I think that it's very important for you to understand. The three-in-one components of man, uh, the, the, the mind, uh, the, the soul, the spirit, and the body, the, the, the triune nature of man that's made in the image of God is what failed in the garden. In the garden, the, 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 the reasoning mind, the natural man rose up and formed an alliance with the body that the Bible just calls the flesh. You need to just call it the self-nature. Everywhere the Bible has got flesh, just scratch it out and write self-nature in there. And the self-nature rose up and it defied the spirit. The Spirit said to obey the commandment of God. And they didn't obey the commandment of God. And what happened was the spiritual nature was swallowed up. And so the Lord will not allow you to understand him through reasoning and thinking. He is holy and completely an irrational, unreasonable God. He is not reasonable. He makes no sense. 
He defies logic intentionally because he won't allow you to be in a relationship because you've researched the deal, studied the accounts. Even though this is the most, the most widely documented account, historical account of antiquity, there is no more information, historical information on any other event than there is on the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. But still, he's not allow you to come to him because you investigated the evidence and you came to a logical conclusion that Jesus must be the Messiah because he see fulfilled 350 prophecies and so on and so forth. He's not going to allow you to come to him based on your ability to reason. You've got to have a touch from the Holy Ghost. Only by the Spirit will you know the things of God. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, For the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged rightly by no one. I never came to Christ because I studied the facts because I studied the history, I came to Christ because I had an encounter with a spirit of God that knocked me off my horse like Paul on the Damascus Road. And I wasn't struck with blindness for three days, praise God. But I'll guarantee you, I stumbled into a lot of stuff several days after that. I didn't know where I was half the time. I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't tell you what my name was after that service. I had such a powerful account, a powerful encounter with the living spirit of God. And that's the only way that you get saved. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Currently we're in a culture that has based its whole, its whole direction on knowledge, on, 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 on intellectual introspection and this is how we decided that Mr. Potato Head had caused oppression for women or that Dr. Seuss was a dangerous agent for the culture this is what does this is what the the intellect of men leads to madness after a while we have a lot of knowledge but what we don't have is wisdom because wisdom can only come from one place. It can come from, it only comes from the Spirit of God. You can take a kid who's had an encounter with the living God and has the Spirit of God in him, and they are much wiser than the highest professors at Harvard University. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Because they have tapped into that thing. We have a lot of knowledge. We know a lot of things. We just don't know how to live. Because we don't have the wisdom of God as a culture, you got to become born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you got to have a spiritual encounter. And it's a spiritual process that begins to know him. He said it's like the wind. You feel the effects. You know what's out there. You know what's real, but you can't see it. That's the way the spirit of God is. Spiritual means non-physical. You can't see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, or smell it. But it's just as real. In fact, it's more real. I feel the presence of God in here this morning. He's here. And these encounters that you have with him begin to change the human heart. And this is why the cross makes no sense to the world is because they have no capacity to understand it. And you can't explain it to them. Try that sometime. Amen. But get us back to the finished work of Christ. What exactly 
is the resurrection of Christ about. It blew all a man's concept of reality. Christ demonstrated that there's an alternative reality that's much beyond the natural. Science cannot prove or disprove the things of Christ because they've just chosen to limit themselves to the realm of the observable universe that we call nature. And therefore, they won't find Christ because he exists beyond that in another dimension. And this is exactly why Jesus exposes to us a reality that is supernatural. It's miraculous. It's above and beyond the confines of science. When you pray for a miracle, what are you praying for? You're praying for that supernatural reality to manifest itself and that, that will operate above and beyond the rules, the natural rules of science. Well, he has a tumor and he's, and he's, and he's terminal. Okay, great. That's, we understand that. But we're praying for something that goes beyond that reality into a reality that the resurrection power can be released in and he lives because God, Jesus, is his Lord. And that tumor supernaturally is dealt with. What did he mean when he said on the cross, it's finished? You can tart, go to Isaiah chapter 62. You can, you can get a pretty good idea because whenever Jesus preached his first sermon after the wilderness, and he, went into, he went into the synagogue. He reached and grabbed the scrolls and he opened it up to Isaiah 62 and he read it. And he said, this is what I've come here to do. The Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. This is the number one thing that's finished. Poverty. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Poverty is not consistent with the word of God. It doesn't make you spiritual. It just makes you absolutely poor. And I'm telling you, God has no intention for you to become the people that he's called you to be and stay impoverished for some spiritual cause. Listen, you can be spiritual and you can be the most successful business person who's ever been in your particular field if you follow after Jesus. Because Jesus absolutely was a pretty good businessman as well. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Did he ever, was he ever without? Did he ever not have what he needed? Was He fed 5,000 people with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. The resources was not the problem. And the church has got to understand poverty is not part of the deal. He came to alleviate poverty. That's finished. What else is finished? Addiction. I came to set those that are, that, that are captive at liberty. If you struggle with an addiction here this morning, I have good news for you. He is risen. Hallelujah. The resurrection power that brought him out of the grave can be unleashed in your body and your body can defeat addiction in a moment, in an instant when you open your heart to this reality and say that you believe it in Jesus' name. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Addiction. He came to end addiction. I'll tell you what else is finished. Cancer, heart disease, diabetes, infectious diseases. All of these, none of these are consistent with the word of God. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says that by his stripes we're healed. That he earned that for us. The Hebrew inter word interpreted as healed is rafah. It means to cure, to cause to heal. It also is used as physician. But somehow or another, the church, some of the churches decided it means saved. Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the great apostle Peter says, he talks about Jesus. He said himself, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, may have lived, lived to righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And he used a Greek word that is a medical term, and it has to do with recovering from sickness. Now, what are they going to do with that? 
He's quoting the same scripture out of the prophecy, but this time, I just know that you can get sick. I know people have had COVID. I know people that have had cancer. I know all of those things. But what you have to understand is that's not what God won for you on the cross. Come on, somebody. That's not, it's finished. It's only not finished if you let it be not finished. Come on. I'll tell you what else is finished, the despair of a broken heart. He said, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and the word there for brokenhearted is crushed. There are some people that have been hurt so bad by betrayal or various things that it leads to great depression in their life, and they become totally dysfunctional. He came to take away that away. He came to heal that. I'm here to tell you, you can go to all the psychologists you want to go to, and they're good people. I love them. They want to help people. You can go to all of the whatever you go to, but until you have that spiritual encounter with the living God, that's what breaks depression off of you. That's what exchanges a spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise. Amen? That's what breaks that hopelessness off of you. If you believe that, say amen. So the cross then is an entryway to heaven. That's actually what it is. You know... <clears throat> Paul said, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then he said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. Our whole linchpin of our faith is based on this one event. All Christianity is built around the proposition that the tomb was empty. The cross is the way into paradise. Jesus said in Luke 23, 42, to the thief on the cross, and the thief said to the Lord, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledged that Jesus was who he said he was. And they both struggled on the, on the crosses right together. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, you will enter with me into paradise. Now, <clears throat> did this guy get baptized? No. Did he go to church? No. How did he get into paradise? By acknowledging the work of the cross was a redemptive act. By acknowledging that it covered his sin. By acknowledging that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life and that he was who he said he was, he entered into paradise. Does that mean that you gotta does, does that mean that you gotta die before for entering into paradise? You know, that's only and completely up to you. Can I get a witness out of somebody? You can fight for that on this earth, and you can see it manifest in your life. You can see an end to poverty and addiction and all these other things in your life if you begin to appropriate what Jesus did on the cross. John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal and destroy and to kill, to, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That you may have life, comma, and have it more abundantly. Which side of the comma have you decided to live on? Mandy said something in a Facebook post that really blessed me the other day. She said, as Christians, it's so easy for us to believe for our salvation because of the cross, but we leave all the other benefits laying at the foot of the cross. We leave everything else laying there. This is my resolution in 2021. You want to hear it? I refuse to leave the fruits of his suffering laying there at the foot of his cross. He paid too high a price. For me not to walk in the things that he has won for me. I refuse to let the devil steal it one more time. 
It's finished. All of that struggle is finished. The question is, do you believe it's finished? Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul said, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. If you can confess with your mouth the things you believe in your heart, Many times you can't say the things you really believe in your heart. You can, you, can, you, can, you can say, I believe it. You can try to fake like you believe it. But I'm telling you here this morning, church, you've got to decide, was the tomb empty or was it not empty? Was his body stolen? You do all of that. You run through all the scenarios. Because if the tomb was empty, then I want to know why we're not walking in the things that he won for us when he said, it's finished. Come on, somebody. We've been conditioned by modern theology to believe that it's just about getting into heaven. Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. When he started to preach, when he started to preach, he went from village to village, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's about to be made available to you. How? Through the cross. The cross is the door. Friday's starting to look a little better now, isn't it? When the tomb was empty, it changed everything. It changed all the natural order. It changed all the kingdoms on the earth. It changed all the hierarchy of power on the earth. He became the king of kings and lord of lords. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of the resurrection. It may be Friday in your life right now, but Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. Rusty Powell was just sharing with me. They came to our Passover and, and uh, they brought us something. We prayed over at First Fruits and he said, well, that was quick. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's already happened. Can I give, let's give God a praise in here. Amen, hallelujah. I, Rusty and Lori decided they're not leaving it at the foot of the cross. They're not going to leave it there. They're going to pick it up and they're going to walk in it. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Everybody says, well, you know, you faith preachers and you prosperity preachers. Let me tell you what I preach. I preach the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I preach. And I will not let the devil steal one more thing from me that belongs to me. And he won all of that at the cross. Let's give him a praise in here. He won all of that at the cross. So, When they were taking Passover, when they did the third cup of the redemption cup, and Jesus lifted it up and he said, this is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant. What is the covenant? Here's the covenant. That you are saved, made whole, fixed, healed, restored, made into who he intended for you to be, to possess the things he intended for you to possess, 
to be the ecclesia, which is not a church. It's a ruling body on the earth. Ecclesia means the legislature, that you should be telling the culture, which we're actually issue ago, you should be making the rules. You should be deciding what's moral and what's not moral because you have the judgment. You have the spirit. You can see that they can't see. They should be following your example. And they're going to again. Here's what I'm here else to declare over you this Easter morning of the year 2021, the first morning after the wilderness. If you saw my Passover word the Lord gave me that I put out the Passover the last Passover was the Passover of Moses and then we entered into the wilderness journey of 2020 and it was a struggle but we got to the Jordan River we've crossed over and now we've took the Passover of Joshua and I'm telling you God will give you wherever your feet tread if you will go and possess it's time you possessed your school district it's time you possessed the government of your states it's time you possessed the government of the nation it's time that you possessed the 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 commercial sphere the educational entertainment it's time that you possess those because God won that for you at the cross. And we've gone through 2,000 years of deception where the church has told its people, shut up and don't cause any problems and, you know, just wait for the sweet by and by. I'm not waiting, hallelujah. I'm not waiting. I want it now. I want everything that God won for me. I want it now. I want you to have it now. I want you to be the legislative body. I want you to be the one that people look to and say, I don't understand it. I don't understand the cross. I don't understand all that mumbo jumbo that they do. I don't understand this tongues thing. But I want to tell you one thing. I want to live like them. Come on, somebody. Huh. I'm excited this Easter because it's a special Easter. It's an Easter of renewal. It's an Easter of returning to the lessons of the cross. And beginning to walk in the power. And beginning to walk in the influence. And he picked up the bread and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. It's broken. It's broken because we need to enter into a new dominion. A dominion that he won for us. He said to Peter, he said, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my legislative body. I will build it. And you'll reign and rule with him. Look, I'm excited about Jesus coming back. But I don't want him to catch me scrimping and getting by and just barely existing and struggling in all these areas of my life. And he says, why didn't you stand on the word that I gave you and declare it's finished? I'm done with it. I'm going on to the reality that Jesus has for me. Amen. We're going to take communion in a minute. I'd like to get... Leroy, can you and Asia come serve? Carol and I will serve one son. Before we do that, though, if this Easter morning, if you've been struggling and struggling and maybe you've been in the faith and somewhere you lost your faith, in this wilderness journey of 2020, or maybe even beyond that, you just lost your faith. You just, you don't know how to pray anymore. You don't know, you don't, you don't feel close to God. This is an opportunity for you to come back. This is an opportunity for to pick up the things that are laying at the foot of the cross and begin to walk in them in your life, to serve him. You know, the colt was loosed when he came in. He said, go find the colt and loose the colt and bring him to me. The colt wasn't loose to do his own thing. God doesn't set you free for you to do your own thing. He sets you free to serve him. 
The colt was loosed for him to be a servant and be a servant to God. And all that happens in life is, is that we just get straight off and we get to chasing this and chasing that distraction or whatever. And we forget that our whole, the whole reason to exist is to serve God. And whenever we quit serving him, we quit walking into things that he has for us. If you believe that, say amen.